Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Hey, it's Friday. The Warriors won and spring has sprung. Let's pop in a cassette tape and give ourselves a little daily affirmation. I like myself. I'm glad to be me. I like myself. I'm glad to be me. We have a special show for you this morning. Radiolab's Simon Adler joins us to preview a new live show that he's doing about his project, Mixtape which focuses on the transformations wrought by the humble cassette tape. He'll take us all over the world and to the moon, but most especially into that space where you may be hearing my voice right now, between your headphones and soul, somewhere right in there. That's all coming up next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Think back to the defining image of the radio from the mid-century. It's a family or friends clustered around a big audio unit, a collective experience of a broadcast. Nowadays, almost no one listens to radio or podcasts like that. The experience has become individual, earbudded, personal, or as audio people like to say, intimate. It's not just that the technology shrank, though that was part of it. Our culture changed too. The bridge was the cassette tape, this magic ribbon of magnet. Before you could dance alone to an iPod or beam mental health advice into your ears, there was the tape and the Walkman and this new bubble of personal space, an invisible envelope of sound for you to tuck inside. To tell us all about it, we've got a man who is truly obsessed with the cassette tape, (laughs) Radiolab producer Simon Adler. Welcome to the show. So good to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So... In addition to the live show, which you're going to be doing, say, tonight, tonight? at KQED Live, um, you also did this five-part series called Mixtape for Radio Lab, and you kick it off with the Walkman. So, like, tell us about the Walkman and why it was such a revolutionary thing. Sure. Well, uh, if you look at the phone that most of us have in our pockets today, that is the descendant of this thing called the Walkman. There is a straight line from one to the, the other. And the story that I like to tell that sort of encapsulates uh, 
that transition is actually the release of the Walkman. 1979, Yoyogi Park in Tokyo. Uh, Sony is going to unveil this object to the world for the first time. And instead of having, I don't know, million-dollar ad campaigns, what do they do? They invite 30 uh, reporters, Japanese reporters, into the park, and they tell them to just look out onto the park. And what do these reporters see but this sort of herd of random individuals. We have salarymen. We have kids skateboarding. We have uh, moms pushing strollers. And they all have these orange headphones on as they're moving through the space. And what these folks were looking out on, as I like to see it, is a little glimpse into the future because it was here for the first time they were seeing people moving through space together but in their own little universes consuming their own media, their own music. So, uh, yeah, it it set the stage for a lot, I think. What was that moment for you? What was the first time you put on headphones and started moving through the world? Do you remember? man, do I remember. Did you have, like, a CD Walkman? That's what I had. I had a Discman, yes. Uh, I also, I had one cassette tape. I had a Backstreet Boys cassette tape (laughs) that I got. uh, (laughs) I remember I got it for Easter when I think I was six or seven years old. And so probably that was the first thing I listened to on headphones. I also had one tape. I'm not going to make you guess. It was the Top Gun soundtrack. Ooh, pretty good. good. Which I also had on vinyl and eventually got on CD. That was... uh, (laughs) Big Tom Cruise fan here. (laughs) Um, So what is it, you think, about being able to be kind of in your own world, but also out in the world that is so... Like, what what does that do to us, you think? Uh, Well... uh, According to a researcher I've spoken to, or a researcher I've spoken to who, like, put this in the best words, is uh, she said, when you put those headphones on and you start moving through a space, it's almost like you become a protagonist in a film. Mm-hmm. Uh, she talked about how, you know, when you're walking through life every day, uh, life feels sort of like a documentary where your eyes are the camera capturing what's going on. But you put that soundtrack on, man, and suddenly, like... You're in a blockbuster and the camera is sort of strangely hovering above you, shooting back at you as you move through the space. So it it reorients you in this way that we totally take for granted today because we're doing it so often. But it's sort of amazing to think that throughout the course of human history, information that was passed uh, in the audio form was always done out loud and usually to a group of people. And here just in the last 40 years, we've sort of figured out how to put headphones on and have these individual experiences. Do you think that has had any negative effects in terms of the kind of fragmentation of what it is to be together in the world? Yeah, this is the challenge um, because uh, the Walkman began a fragmentation that has been taken to the nth degree today by the Internet, I would say. Uh, and of course, it's like, what is a uh, what is an echo chamber? What is a, a media bubble other than you only consuming a certain amount of things that other people are consuming the same things as? And we've got other people over there computing, consuming completely different things. And that's how you end up in a space where nobody can agree upon anything. So, yes, I do think there's definitely some downstream negative effects here. So I know you've spent an ungodly amount of time researching cassettes, flipping through cassettes at vintage stores, just doing all the things to to understand this technology and its and this media. What why or how did you get so obsessed? It's a really good question. It actually started with a vinyl record. Uh, back when I was in high school, I found this very strange, I think it was like 1968 uh, record where it was a it was this guy Tex Yearout and he went to a high school somewhere down in the south and he was giving his uh, speech about 
don't have sex before marriage and don't drink beer like your parents like to. And it's this very, very weird recording of this guy just in this auditorium speaking to this class. But it was trans transportational. It transported me into that place. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, what is going on here? So I started hunting for other stuff like that. Uh, and spent years and couldn't find anything because I was flipping through records looking for it. And then finally I look at a cassette rack somewhere and I'm like, oh, my God, there's all sorts of this weird spoken word, like informational, instructional stuff that's just like the record I was looking for. Why doesn't it exist on vinyl? Why does it exist on magnetic tape? Like something culturally or technologically changed between these two formats. And that sort of got me thinking, going deeper down the rabbit hole, buying this stuff up. Cassettes are also very cheap, so it's a cheap yeah, hobby to have. Right. So uh, I like that. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. four hundred cassettes for every like original John Coltrane recording. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you you mentioned the kind of two tributaries of change there, right? I mean, the technological and the cultural. Let's let's go down the technological one first. Um, for people who don't really remember, like, what is the tape as a technology? Right. So magnetic tape uh, is essentially just like a little bit of plastic, tiny, tiny ribbon of plastic that they've ground up uh, iron typically into tiny, tiny powder form and then glued onto it. Uh, and then basically what we figured out through uh, years and years of uh, scientific playing around was that you could take a sound wave, voice, air coming out of my mouth. You could have that hit a microphone in just such a way that it would turn that wave into an electrical signal. That electrical signal could then travel down through a wire, which could then hit a magnet, which would then magnetize all those tiny particles of iron in such a way that they would sort of hold on to an imprint of that sound in a magnetic field form. Uh, it's wild. Alchemy. <laughs> Practically. <laughs> yeah. like It doesn't make sense. Like, yeah, yeah it, science is magic. I mean, it's also amazing that that same technology is what holds, like, the numbers of your credit card on the back of a credit card. Like, that magnetic tape, right? Totally. Yes. And this is why, and, like, a hard drive is essentially, it's not magnetic tape, obviously, but it is magnetized material. Also, uh... Like magnetic tape still stores more information on the planet right now than any other medium. And that's usually, and it's for a couple of reasons, but um, basically every big tech company, um, based on my understanding of my reporting, they have backups of everything on cassette tape. You can buy like a 250 terabyte cassette tape of magnetic tape for $150. Uh, and so they're just backing everything up on it because it lasts forever, it's cheap, and it's small. God. Um. So you did this incredible series, you're rolling out this live show, and I want to talk to you about a piece of that live show, which is that, you know, one of the things we associate with tapes are these mixtapes, these like personal uh, documents for us, and you found one of the strangest mixtapes, which were that the astronauts on the Apollo moon landing had like proto-Walkman with them. They did, yeah. So going back to 1969... Uh, essentially, and the, the, the history is a little bit, n nobody's quite sure if Sony approached NASA, if NASA approached Sony, but essentially, uh, yeah, the Apollo 11 astronauts and everyone thereafter was gifted this silver brick uh, called the Sony TC-50, which was essentially the Walkman that would come out a decade later, slightly heavier, it had a record function, and all those guys were sent up to the moon with one of these tape player recorders. 
and then also a personalized mixtape that had been made for them by Mickey Cap, the record exec, who was a friend of NASA. <laughs> I love so <laughs> we're gonna hear um a bit of Neil Armstrong's tape. The, you're gonna hear a lot of theremin on this. Let's listen in. <laughs> Neil Armstrong's cassette has this kooky album from the 40s on it. That's an old uh, favorite of mine. About, uh, it's an album made about 20 years ago. Called Music Out of the Moon. Neil Armstrong, like that was his jam. Can you turn that music off, please? Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so that's literally NASA being like, God, no more theremin, Neil. Like, exactly. what's the deal, man? <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> I love that. We are talking with Simon Adler, uh, senior producer of Radio Lab, about his podcast series and this new live show, which is at KQED Live tonight, about the remarkable impact of the Humble cassette tape. We want to hear from you on this show. This is such a perfect show for, for you all to tell us your stories about cassettes that changed your life. Maybe it's a self-help cassette. Maybe it's a mixtape somebody made for you. Pretend you're an astronaut. What would be on your space mixtape? More or less there, I'm in the Neil Armstrong. That's what I want to know. Um, uh, before we go uh, to break, um, Simon... Tell us just a tiny bit more about the live show and, and the framing for it. Great, yeah. So the live show, we decided to zoom in on this, this sort of strange phenomenon inside of cassette world, which was the self-help tape boom that happened starting in the early 80s. And we're essentially looking at the intersection of the Walkman and its ability, as we've been discussing, to make some make media intimate and personal. And uh, Ronald Reagan and his sort of pull yourself up by your bootstraps, the individual above everything, uh, sort of those two forces colliding and creating this very strange phenomenon of people believing that just by listening to information, they could become better. Mm. I uh, was starting to get a few uh, comments in of people who had tapes that changed their lives. Daniel writes, Kitaro Silk Road was a binge listening album I played on cassette endlessly in the summer of 1981. That mystical, magical, seamless sound got me through many hours and days making light shine in the darkness of my life. That's Kitaro Silk Road. I gotta listen to that. Yeah. Uh, I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're here with Simon Adler. We'll be back with more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking with Simon Adler, senior producer of Radiolab. Uh, he did an amazing podcast series called Mixtape on Radiolab, and he's got a live show, which is at KQD Live tonight. They're both about the remarkable impact of the cassette tape. We're going to start taking your calls and your comments on, you know, what's a cassette tape that changed your life? Or, you know, if you were around then, do you remember your first experience of listening to a Walkman out in the world. You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can email your comments and questions, your tapes, to forum at kqed.org. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We're KQED Forum. Um, I want to go to the phone lines here. Let's um, bring in caller uh, Don in Palo Alto. Welcome. Good morning. Yes. So I have a couple things. My very first cassette tape was New Kids on the Block, their Christmas (laughs) album. Um, So that's dating me quite well. But what I remember um, was just the the fact that, you know, you guys alluded to the mixtape for the astronauts, which is super cool. I didn't know that. But it was, you know, it was the first time that we as consumers could, you know, content create, if you will, or curate a soundtrack, which you also alluded to, but um, were you, you know, taping the off the radio, Don? That's the thing I always remember oh, people yeah. doing: taping off the radio. Taping off the radio, and you know, you had to have two cassette players side by side for that. So when my mom got us a double cassette player, it was like, wow, this is so amazing. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was. Uh, and the other thing about you know, I was talking with one of your, um, you know, your producers or whatever about how the mixtape was a lot more work than our playlists now and how if you made a play uh, a mixtape for somebody you were you were committed uh, in a committed relationship a friendship or whatever <laughs> whereas you could share a playlist on Spotify or whatever with the world so there's not a like a relationship aspect to that so that's right um, a mixtape yeah. was for commitment Spotify is for like a situationship yeah that's definitely that's exactly. definitely right um, Don, uh, yeah, cool. uh, last thing before we let you go. Did you have a go-to song where you were like, this is the banger I put on the beginning of all my mixtapes? Um, you know, no. But I do remember the first song that I uh, that I ever put on a cassette was The Bangles. Um, mm. Oh, I can't remember the song. But it was the, it was their... Um, Walk Like an Close Egyptian. Your Eyes, Give Me Your Hands, that song. I can't remember the name of that title. <laughs> but you guys can Google it. Anyway, yes. thank you very Thank much. you so much, Don. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, Simon, I assume that you have heard some amazing mixtape stories in your in your time of doing this reporting. I have, yeah. I will say, for, for reasons that don't totally make sense to me or that I don't understand, like we, my reporting has been sort of more away from the personal mixtape, I think maybe because it feels like territory that's been relatively well explored. But... Even that being said, yes, of course. Like uh, in in the in the series we did, uh, a friend and a colleague of mine, David Gable, uh, I went 
and just hung out with him for an afternoon and just listened to these tapes. And it was amazing to watch him sort of transport in time Mm -hmm. as he listened back to these tapes and thought about the lovers who had made them for him or the the lovers that he had made them for. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, it's a it's it's a little bit of a time travel experience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Let's talk about the self-help components, because I found this really fascinating. I mean, up at the top of the show, we heard a little bit of this daily affirmation. I want to hear actually a little bit more because I find it like wonderfully creepy. Um, Let's listen in. You are incredible. That's right. You. You have a lot going for you. You always did. And now it's time to let yourself live out the incredible potential that you were born with. You've had it all the time. You were born to be an exceptional human being. And each day you give yourself the winning words of self-talk that say, I, I like, like myself. myself. Um, I, I This is totally what I do every morning before the show. Um, <laughs> <time>. <laughs> Thank you for bringing this exercise to everyone. Um, what are we listening to here, honestly? Right. So this is a guy, uh, Shad Helmstetter, who uh, is a, a bit of a self-help guru sort of figure. Uh, he... Uh, his sort of made his uh, claim to fame is a series called Self Talk. And this is what uh, this was an example of it with a little music that we threw under it to give it sort of a little extra oomph. But yeah, he uh, he's a fascinating guy, one of the early self help cassette sort of creators. And uh, yeah, he's both incredibly thoughtful and has ended up creating this product that on the one hand, you can roll your eyes at and be like, oh, my God. And then, uh, don't you feel better just doing it? Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is this is what's complicated for me about this because it's like I think that all this stuff is hokey, yes, but I also do think there's just like a modicum of truth to like, you know, it does feel good to have somebody tell you that you're okay. Like that feels good. I, and so if nobody's being hurt by that, yeah, so I, I don't mind it. Uh, mostly, I'm anthropologically interested in this thing, but uh, but. Uh, yeah, emotionally, who who cares if you need a little pat on the back every once in a while, a little tickle in the ear? I mean, there's a part of me, too, that feels like this is a presaging of a lot of the interest in sort of like positive mental health and like well-being that exists now. Totally. Well, and part of that is, and we don't get into this too much in the show, and the details are going to evade me here, but there was one guy, he was a state representative here in California, and he sort of single-handedly created the self-esteem movement. I wish I knew his his name <laughs> off the top of my head. Uh, but yeah, essentially, uh, th- this idea, again, that like how you feel about yourself, how you see yourself internally is going to dictate how you move through the world. Uh, that That idea is very much present in these tapes and very much comes out of this state here, California. Do you think that that is... Uh, that the cassette, the ability to kind of listen to this on your own, because I mean, you, you, if you imagine putting this on like a boombox right. and you're listening, that feels like it's not going to happen. But in your ears, yes, right? Absolutely. And uh, if you talk to, or I spoke to this guy, Vic Conant, who is currently the CEO of the largest, or what was the largest self-help cassette company, uh, Nightingale Conant. And he talks about how their business was struggling, like they were almost bankrupt while they were trying to cut this stuff onto vinyl and sell it on vinyl. But the minute the cassette came around, boom. The business took off. Suddenly, they were sell- selling this stuff faster than than I don't know what. So yes, there is absolutely something inherent to the tape, as far as I'm concerned, hmm. and it ta- and it taps into one of my just sort of favorite intellectual ideas. That is, the medium is the message. <laughs> yeah, right. There is something here about the cassette tape, about its intimacy, that just makes this intimate content pop. Hmm. Things could also get. Um, I think trippy is the technical term here at times <laughs> for 
some of these things. In particular, we have, well, you know what? I'm not going to tell you anything about it. Let's just listen. The As dream. the group met, was similar in the large to auditorium man they had experienced had no before. Idea. He was exactly in a theater what was in store watching for them. a movie. Simon, what is going on, man? What is going on? <laughs> right. I feel like I'm being manipulated, like there's some fingers in my brain moving around. <laughs> it's harmless. It's harmless, I promise. Uh, well, so basically, and I don't know if people heard this in, in stereo or not, but this is a tape invented by uh, a guy named Lloyd Glauberman, psychoanalyst and hypnotist uh, on the upper west side of Manhattan. And basically what these tapes are is they're meant to be listened on headphones and you're getting two different fairy tales piped into uh, your your brain at a time. One in the left ear, one in the right ear. Why? Why would you do that? Well, many answers. But Lloyd's was that he was embedding these sort of secret messages between the two stories, almost like those images that you have to like cross your eyes oh, to yeah, see. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Magic eye. Magic This eye. is like magic ear. Magic ear, exactly. Yeah. So that the stories, he wrote them in such a way that you get these sort of rat-a-tats between the left ear and the right ear so that the left ear will say the word feel, the right ear will say the word better, the left ear will say now. So feel better now. Left, right, left. So there's this weird sort of ping-ponging of information, hypnotically, as he would say, embedded between the two stories. Um, this is amazing. Engineer Danny Bringer is a man of many, many talents. Sometimes call him hero Danny Bringer. Um, he tells us he had a self-hypnosis tape about bowling that he used successfully to win the Junior State Championship. Whoa. That is amazing. Whoa. That is amazing. Um, we, uh, let's go to Lucinda in Sausalito. Hey, good morning. Hi, good uh, morning. Back, good morning. This brings back wonderful memories. When I was about 12 or 13, I was given a, a cassette recorder uh, player, and I would make my own tapes. I would hold it up to the the stereo and, you know, put different songs on. I had uh, eight tracks that I would record so I could walk around with the songs. And there was one song from Boston, More Than a Feeling. <laughs> and in this song, da, na, na, da, na. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. At some point in the song, there's like a crackling uh, on the tape. And I would listen to this over and over. And now in, you know, present day, whenever I hear that song, and it comes up to that point where the crackling happens. I have that still in my head. You're like, where's my crackle? My crackle's not on. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I used to love to make um, uh, cassette um, recordings of d- different songs for you know travel and whatnot. But and I and I would walk up and down the street with these. Uh, these cassettes and uh you know it's just a great time I love so it. yeah and, and you know you you know your friends would come up to you and you're playing this great music and uh would you, you just know. hand them your headphones you just take them off and and put them on them no no i didn't no no i didn't that, you listen i'm you know in my 50s there, there were no um, oh you I were playing it out loud oh yeah and that's the deal yeah, you know yeah. nobody knows that you're really you know, cool anymore because they can't hear your music. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Thank Lucinda. You. Thank I... you so much for this uh, topic. This is wonderful. Appreciate Thanks so much. that. Thank you so much. 
Um, that is, you know, the headphones are part of it, right? It does feel like that is part of what changed in this sort of technological firmament. Absolutely. And I, I will also say that as a couple of people calling in have pointed out, there was like this personal connection to media that there hadn't been before. Uh, again, we're so accustomed to sort of uh, pastiche or, or our ability mm-hmm. to uh, mix and remix uh, media today online, uh, et cetera. What is a GIF if not just – or excuse me, <laughs> what, what is a meme if not just sort of re- culturally recombinated information? But this was the beginning of that. Like sure yeah. you could – cut stuff out of a magazine and paste it and you can make a collage that way but this was the beginning of being able to take sound and fast forward in time a little bit visuals and to be able to actually play with them and and contort them and control them in the way you wanted to yeah we have a bunch of like very fun comments coming in of people's memories being i feel like this is almost like a um like a smell level memory that we're getting to here for people (laughs) um deb writes i remember you had to use a bic pen to rewind a cassette tape that had escaped its case yeah yeah, or I, I I've saw, seen a lot of people using pencils as well with the eraser, the eraser right in there. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> um, another listener writes, "Oh man, my boyfriend at the time made me a mixtape. When I got to listen to it, I heard this one song on there, Closing Time, and I knew after hearing it that he was totally in love with me. We're now coming up on 24 years of marriage. Best tape ever. Wow, <laughs> pretty good. Um, ben writes in to say two cassette tape, two cassette things come to mind." The Tascam Porta Studio was the beginning of the home recording revolution, and cassette tapes of Alcoholics Anonymous leads may have been the beginning of the self-help trend you described. I remember my dad listening to this guy Clancy Eyes lead repeatedly, which was funny and inspirational. Didn't he? Interesting. Uh, Well, first of all, with the home recording, absolutely. Uh, And I think you see generally a lot of, uh, again, this sort of creative recombination uh, coming out of the cassette because of home recording. Uh, If I can tell a real brief story, though, that I think is sort of this idea of home recording or creative recombination on, like, the highest level that ties into the tape here has to do with uh, actually how Western music showed up in China. If I, uh, if, if you'll allow me, this here. is so, an incredible story. Okay, it is. It's it's too good to not tell. <laughs> yeah. Which is um, okay, and uh, this is a simplification, obviously. But you know, we've only got a couple minutes here. Yeah. So, uh, in China, for most of the 20th century, there wasn't what we would consider popular music. Uh, this was in large part because of the Communist Party and their control over what media could come in and come out. And so, arguably, through the 1970s, like there were these. Eight operas that were allowed in the country and nothing else. And played out loud on like loudspeakers. On loudspeakers. Other than that, people weren't really listening to too much else. However, one day, uh, a man shows up to this uh, plastic recycling plant in Heping in southeastern China. And he's walking through the scrap plastic because, you know, everybody's sending their plastics to be recycled in China. And he's looking at these huge mounds of plastic and he realizes, like, that's not just a mound of plastic. That's That's a cassette tape. And in fact, there is a mountain of cassette tapes here. And he goes and inspects them, and they've all got a cut in them, but can easily be put back together, he realizes. And it turns out what happened was, at that time in the 80s, the music industry here in the States was overproducing its catalog by such a factor that cassettes that weren't sold were being 
sold off at pennies on the dollar into the international plastic scrap trade. They were being put on barges, sent to southeastern China to be recycled. And this one guy figured out this stuff is worth a heck of a lot more as music than it is as scrap plastic. (laughs) And you see this network throughout China blossom starting uh, in the late 80s of this, quote, daco or cutout uh, Western music. And it spread through the country at just an alarming rate. What's so amazing about this story, too, is that basically each one had to be, right, re-spliced oh, yeah. and rewound. And so you and your amazing uh, production assistant went and rebuilt a tape to see if you could do it. Right? We did, yeah. In my backyard, we took a, a skill saw and we cut a cassette tape uh, literally in half, smashed it uh, with a hammer, and then took that ribbon out, the, the actual tape itself, opened up the sort of case the body of another cassette tape and transplanted it in there, tied it in, and it played perfectly. That's amazing. And do you have a sense of, like, what the scale of this was relative to, you know, something else? Oh, yeah, we're talking, there. it was millions of tapes a year that were coming into China. Millions of tapes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. literally millions of tapes. And a whole distribution network also sprang up, right? Right, because suddenly this was the only access point to this thing. People saw an opportunity to make money. People all over the country, as far as in Xinjiang, uh, were were suddenly like, oh, what is this? This is Michael Jackson? Who is Michael Jackson? Lovely. Let yeah, give me that. I'll pay you. I'll yeah. pay you for that. The other amazing thing um, in, on the podcast is you have Kaiser Kuo on there who runs has an amazing uh, podcast in, himself. Um, he was there kind of during this time and was, was seeing some of these things and then also saw the music that came out of essentially – Packaging up the entire, you know, Western music industry and dropping it in this contextless way all throughout China. And then what happens? All the bands reinterpret the music without a lot of the context that would have gone around it in the States. Exactly. This And this tying us back to that idea of uh, that, that first Tascam home recorder. In China, that was happening, but it was sort of happening during an inundation of information without, as you said, the context. And so in China, you see this really amazing music being made at that time that is... Uh, Again, creatively recombining things that here in the States, because we understood or we lived the sort of long tradition of these particular genres, connections that folks wouldn't have made here that folks felt no problem making in China because, hey, it's all just Western music. Right. Amazing. We're talking with Simon Adler, senior producer of Radiolab, about his podcast series, Mixtape, and a live show, which has grown out of it. It's live at KQD, live tonight. We're also going to take some more of your calls. Is there a cassette tape that changed your life? Maybe a self-help tape, maybe something else. You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. The email is form at kqed.org. Eve writes in to say, I pride myself on being able to fix a broken ribbon on a cassette tape by the Stone Roses during our senior trip using a price sticker from a vodka bottle. I saved the day. Alexis Madrigal. More with Simon Adler when we come back. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. 
Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking with Simon Adler about the humble cassette tape. He's a senior producer for Radiolab, of course, and he made a podcast series called Mixtape, as well as a live show. It's live at KQED uh, tonight. Got a lot of calls, so we're going to get to the phones. Uh, Brian in San Francisco, welcome. Uh, yeah, I love this conversation. Um, I'm, sitting, I'm sitting here with my wife. We're, we're like laughing and, and reminiscing <laughs> about mixtapes that we made. And, and we share with each other and also share with other friends. But I also, she she called it out that like her, one of her, her favorite things was from me was the artwork that I put on mm. the, the outside of the cassette. So I, I, I had a knack of making that tape pop in the <laughs> in the tray. <laughs> so you'd always go to it. But yeah, and actually, and then, then writing out the track names, you know, oh, that, yeah. that, that took time. That did <laughs> take I, time. Again, <laughs> love this conversation. It's bringing back so many great memories. Um, Brian, and, last uh, thing. Did you have a go-to song? That's, a, that's one of my questions here. Uh, it, so, no, I, it was, it, it kind of was whatever was uh, popping on the charts that, that, <laughs> week you know i mean it wasn't uh, you know tapes were for either road trips or just the walkman walkabout um it, it was uh you know it was all it was kind of all over the place also mixing in some comedy jokes with some richard pryor in the middle of it just to break <laughs> up the monotony <laughs> wow amazing brian thank you so much for uh sharing your uh memories with us let's go uh let's go right to uh holly in laguna beach welcome holly Good morning. So my story is I was a flight attendant with Pan Am back in the 70s, so like 50 years ago, and I flew regularly to Hong Kong. In Hong Kong, I met a young man. We were both like in our 20s at the time, and he worked in a record shop. And so in return for my bringing him albums of the latest music in New York, where I was I was flying New York and San Francisco to Hong Kong, he would put together these fabulous cassette tapes and mixes, and mm. he would turn me on to all kinds of music. And so I have a whole repertoire of mixtapes that he made me from the late 70s, and he turned me on to all kinds of good music. And I've often wondered what happened to him because, you know, with everything that's going on with Hong Kong and China now, and he was so in love with everything American that, he actually named his daughter Annie Hall with a Chinese last name. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, Holly, did you keep the mixtapes? Yeah, I have some of them. You know, I, I would have to dig them out. But, you know, some of the people he turned me on to, you know, they became really well-known later. But he was really at the forefront. Yeah. He loved music. It was his passion. And, you know, he was not a wealthy guy. He was a young man who was just trying to make a go of it, and he lived in one of the real high-rises in Kowloon in Hong Kong. And we had these long, long conversations. 
you know, about music and about life. And it was just those chant. It went on for several years. And, you know, we weren't like romantic partners. We just were really good friends and uh-huh. just hung out whenever I would be in Hong Kong, which would be a couple times a month usually. That's so great. That's what a great cool. story, Holly. That's thank really cool. you so much for that. Yeah, it was. I feel so lucky. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, Simon, we, so we're talking about some of these like core uses for these things for, you know, people who are, um, you know, just regular folks in, in the world. One listener tweets with an interesting uh, story. Exidy Sorcerer, among others, used cassette tape drives to store computer programs. If I recall correctly, their stories of easy to copy cassette tapes for Soviet Union underground news transmission as well. Can you talk to us a little bit about the ways that sort of like computing, there is this history, as we were kind of alluding to earlier, there is this history where computing and the internet and cassette tapes are all kind of bound together. Right. So this was a bigger deal uh, over in the UK and Europe generally and here in the States. But when personal computers were coming out, uh, as they would, micros, as they would call them in the UK, these first very crappy uh, home personal computers, uh, a lot of times it was cheaper to, instead of putting a floppy drive on that computer, to put a cassette drive on it. Now, what the heck does that actually mean? Um, what is a computer doing? It is taking zeros and ones, and it's turning that into information. It presents you on a screen. Well, you can store zeros and ones sonically uh, as, a, as a low tone and as a high tone. And so literally, these, uh, these computers were booting up software. Uh, and if you listen into that software, it's just... All of that to load software into their games. Now, if I can like re- the literal noise we make to pretend to be a computer, you could actually <laughs> yes, use exactly, that. exactly. Yeah. Uh, but a fascinating piece of this history is sort of the first uh, like broad scale file sharing, or you could even sort of call it a one way internet, was people in the UK taking these software cassette tapes, these sounds that were really video games, if you played them into the computer, and they would broadcast them over the radio in such a way that if I'm sitting at home at just the right time, I can hit record on my my receiver cassette player, and suddenly I've literally downloaded the game uh, that this person is broadcasting by capturing those sounds. It's pretty wild. Wow. I, that, that's, it, that story is, is just mind-blowing. It's just like, you know, it's not the history that you we tend to get about the spread of computer software. Yeah. Totally. No, 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 no. Um, more listener comments. There's some, there's, this one's uh, it's emotional. Uh, one listener writes in to say, When I was six years old, my dad had a massive heart attack, and my mom had to begin what became years of working 15 hours a day. She was no longer able to read us bedtime stories, so she made us a cassette tape of our favorite stories and blew us kisses at the end. I can still hear her voice saying goodnight. Thanks, Mom. Oh, man. That's awesome. Um, Another listener writes in, uh, I think with a a uh, self-help tape, John Vasconcelos, great guy, personalized guided meditation tapes made by pre-birth therapists to prepare for the full experience of home birth in the 1980s made a huge difference in my experience to trust my body. Wow. (laughs) Um, That same listener writes, "Um, also a tape made by my then love interest, which included Home by Talking Heads. Knew he was ready to commit and together now for 40 years. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that people hear like they know they hear the song. They're like, oh, yeah, that person's in. Right. Um, Let's go to uh, Eric in uh, Tiburon. 
Yeah, hi. Hi, welcome. Uh, I wanted to make one comment. The man you were looking for in California that was an early self-help, um, actually, uh, uh, vinyl recordist, was William Penn Teller. And uh, it's a great story. Look it up on, on uh, Wikipedia. But, but my cassette story is about this most recent Christmas and my 29-year-old daughter wanting to buy her boyfriend a cassette player. And she found one on Amazon for 30 bucks, a Walkman-like mm-hmm. player from China that could actually record to MP3 as well. Mm. And uh, I said, that's great. You know, he, her boyfriend had some tapes. And I said, I think I have a box of tapes somewhere. And three days before Christmas, we spent about seven hours listening to this box of tapes that I made in the early 80s of, you know, various prog rock, you know, Brand X and Mahavishnu Orchestra and all these bands. And it just blew both of our collective minds and had one of the greatest Christmases ever because Uh. of her... Um, you know, hipness to get her bro- boyfriend uh, uh, Walkman <laughs> in 2022. Ah, I love that, Eric. Thank you so much, Eric, in uh, in Tiburon. Um, get this, Simon. This is a, a fascinating uh, comment coming in from listener uh, Rajiv. Says, uh, I grew up in India and used to scour the Pastiwalas, people who came around to recycle paper, metal, and pretty much anything you wanted to discard for cheap books, magazines, and at some point, cassette tapes. Some were labeled and commercial, but there was serendipity to finding someone's discarded mixtapes. I became familiar with Tom Jones, Neil Diamond, Dennis Brain's recording of Mozart's horn concertos. Wow. That is awesome. So cool. Yeah, that is, that's, that's one I, that's very Radio Labby. Yes. Well, and <laughs> I, just one more thing sort of about the cassetteness of this is like, cassettes were so cheap to make. Uh, that it just allowed for more stuff to be made than was ever before and for it to disseminate into literally all corners of the globe. So, right. yeah. yeah, man. Amazing. Um, here, uh, we've got Rodney in San Francisco. Welcome, Rodney. Hey, guys. Listen, I was in, in the late 70s. I was in Japan listening to military radio, and I had a, uh, you know, a, a Sony recorder, and... One of the first things that hit me when I was a kid was recordings of William S. Burroughs and Brian Geisen doing cut-ups using cassette tapes. And I just wanted to throw that out there because that was such a, I mean, I was like maybe 10 years old listening to this stuff. That was such a a mind-blowing thing. And my father had a whole garage full of military recording equipment, reel-to-reel tapes and all that stuff. So we used to just play with those things relentlessly and of course the Sony Walkman I brought back with me to the United States was a huge like I don't know even how to explain it a tool of the mind you know it just opened up everything <laughs> and um, I just wanted to remind everybody remember Brian you know Brian Geist and William Burroughs all those cut ups yeah yeah absolutely no thank you so much Rodney I mean there is something really Interesting, right? And you get at this in the story of uh, of Bing Crosby, um, and the way. Well, well, you tell the story. You tell the story because it's about the kind of idea of being able to splice different realities together. Right. Sure. Well, so. Uh, the military was just brought up and interestingly the US military has like a very uh, is sort of at the center of the origin of magnetic recording and the story goes uh, well the allies were moving across Germany 
uh, near the end of the war, there was a guy by the name of Jack Mullen who worked for the Signal Corps. And his job was essentially to move in right behind the front line and go and pick up all of the stuff that the Germans had left behind. And one day he's talking to someone and they say, oh, have you checked out uh, the radio station? They've got this reel-to-reel recorder. And he thinks, well, uh, reel-to-reel recorders are terrible. Jack knows everything there is to know about sound. This stuff doesn't work well. Shows up at the radio studio, which is just really a converted uh, living room in that, at that point presses play on this thing called a magnetophone, and he is just blown away. This is the best-sounding recording he has ever heard. It doesn't have any of the crackle uh, of a vinyl recording. It literally sounds like the orchestra is right there in front of him. Fast forward a couple years, Jack brings it back, I believe, to San Francisco. Uh, And who does he uh, meet up with but Bing Crosby? Because Bing Crosby is tired of being on the radio live twice a week. He wants to be able to pre-record this stuff. Jack Mullen, with this piece of German technology, he and Bing, they start a company called Ampex. They start making these things, and suddenly all of us have this ability to, to record in high fidelity and edit in high fidelity. And this is where things, I think, begin to get interesting and sort of resonate with the present because you have Bing Crosby on the radio suddenly and silently changing from being in front of a group of people and in front of living rooms across the country to he's recorded a little bit here. He recorded a little bit of this last week. He wasn't even in the room when they recorded that and they created the same variety show, but without that sort of togetherness. Uh, and it, be, it seems to me that it's presaging the, the, the fragmentation culturally and politically uh, that yeah. sort of defines us today. Yeah, this like feeling of it's kind of and of course, you know, we've seen all this generative uh, media coming out out of these artificial intelligences. It's like it's it's ever more difficult to know what is real, real and what sort of of <laughs> Not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From real to real. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, a few more uh, comments uh, coming in here. Adrian, um, with a, an interesting story. As a kid growing up in Lebanon during the Civil War, I used to place microphones on the room of our house and record the shelling and machine gun fire. I still have the cassette tapes stashed in a drawer. Wow. You know, and I can imagine, Adrian, and if you're out there, um, right back in, but I can imagine that there must have been, maybe like capturing the sound gave a sense of a little control. I had the exact same understanding. Yeah, what was yeah. yeah, it's yours then. Even if it's a threat, it's yours in some small way. Wow, that's amazing. Um, let's go to Rudy in Napa. Hey, Rudy, can you hear us? Hello. Yeah, yeah I hear you. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I just wanted to say I'm an old deadhead, started in the mid-70s, and the Grateful Dead were one of the first groups to allow people to tape their concerts. And as a matter of fact, they even created a taper section so that the people taping them wouldn't interfere with the people who wanted to make noise or dance or groove around. And in a way, this taping and, and disseminating of the concerts helped create and in a lot of ways cement the mystique of the Grateful Dead live experience, which catapulted the group, uh, you know, to where they are now. And traditional music had never um, been disseminated that way. And, you know, of all the millions of deadheads out there now uh, and the millions of people who kind of have free thought and uh, free access to music, none of that would have happened without the cassette and without this concept that, you know, we've played the music, we've done it, uh, now you guys can have it. We're done with it. 
Yeah. It, it, you know, the Grateful Dead were never a, a band that did well with traditional album sales. And had this had this uh, mode not been available to them, they may not have even made it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Rudy. Um, I used to have a friend uh, who did a lot of dead tape trading. <laughs> it's a big thing. Um, we have uh, another little special component of the show today. Um, to celebrate this year's National Poetry Month, Forum's bringing you poems by Bay Area poets. This week, we're featuring uh, Michael M.J. Jones, a writer, poet, musician, and parent who lives in Oakland. M.J. serves as a managing poetry editor at Foglifter, award-winning literary home for queer and trans writers. And uh, M.J.'s debut poetry collection, Hood Vacations, was published by Black Lawrence Press in January. Let's hear. Off-roading for Chantel. We gather in the desert. My head spins its way past stars. Cozy, I could watch the same twilight-clustered sunset for a millennium, but you aren't so current as much as river rushing. You've got a gumption to pack as many supernovas into this thin life, and so I have my becoming unpackaged, tossed and crumbled behind some reddish country road, I barrel down a path until there is none, for each tiptoe on the pedal a bloom and sputter in my heart. As the jeep jostles and throttles and bangs up a cloud staircase into soft ether, off-roads erode my stepping stones, my kite rings, we're just wild saguaro and okatia overgrowth. I drive along our living laughter, ready to upchuck my gravitas, your palm on my neck, your love a root that settles my stomach. At the end of this desert road, or maybe in the expanse of its middle, I will stand, shoulders sure and tucked, with outstretched hands. Walk to me and pull us into that blue, pull us into that blue abandoned sweeping the sky. That was M.J. Jones, managing poetry editor at Fog Lifter, award-winning literary home for queer and trans writers. M.J.'s debut poetry collection, Hood Vacations, was published in January. We've been talking with Simon Adler, senior producer of Radiolab, about the remarkable impact of the humble cassette tape. You've got a live show tonight, yeah? We do here at KQED, uh, where we're, as we said, sort of diving into self-help and sort of why self-help happened when it did, what the cassette tape had to do with it, and uh, yeah, we sort of run from there. And what Reagan had to do with all those (laughs) things as well. (laughs) You're going to get to Ronald Reagan. Um, Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Simon. Hey, thanks for having me. It was great. This Hour Forum is produced by Blanca Torres and Grace Wan. Marlena Jackson-Rotondo is our engagement producer. Judy Campbell's lead producer. Our engineers are Danny Bringer and Chris Beal. Our interns are Lulu Ralda and Jericho Reininger. Our vice president of news is Ethan Tovin lindsay and our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another Hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.